Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know, we talk a great deal about Europe, Mexico, China, other parts of the world. But here in the United States, we have an ancient past that's just not being told, that's being in some ways suppressed. My guest today is Scott Walter, the host of History Channel's American Unearthed. And we're going to talk about not only early, early discoveries, perhaps thousands of years before Columbus, that are in the United States, but new data, new facts that prove that there were intelligent designs in megaliths, in structures throughout the United States, and they need to be discussed with more clarity and shown to be what they are, the earliest evidence of people in the United States. All this and more today on Earth Ancients. Saturday, November 12th, 2022. This is Earth Ancients. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. Well, hey, how are you? How you doing? Good, I hope. This is a big week. Uh, we got uh, Graham Hancock on not only the Joe Rogan program with Randall Carlson, but his eight-part uh, Netflix series airs November 11th, and runs for eight weeks, Ancient Apocalypse. I'm going to have Graham on in a couple of weeks to talk about the process. I was working with his producer. I might have mentioned this before. He's got a number of people that we have on our program here. And uh, we were in conference, and uh, this this project has been top secret for a couple of years and then the pandemic hit and just made a mess of things and delayed it by probably at least six months. I want to think, I mean, I want to say more than six months. But uh, take a look at it. If you have Netflix, it's free. 
and uh, the, some of the, the the camera work is just gorgeous. I have not seen it yet. I've seen some uh, cuts here and there, but I haven't seen the final uh, edited work, and I'm looking forward to looking at it this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you can just sit back with a bowl of popcorn and, and a drink and uh, just enjoy it. And uh, Graham's wonderful. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> He's such a natural you know, and and I have to say this: he is so deserving of this uh, these accolades, the, this wonderful uh, production by Netflix. And you know, Netflix is in a, is in a slouch. And I would love for him to pick up an award for this uh, for this series. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, this is eight part, but they could come back and say, "Hey." It was uh, well, really well received, and we'd like to do more. So that would be fantastic. But uh, I'm going to be communicating with him. He's in the States right now doing a tour promoting this series. I'm going to talk to him, and we'll we'll try to get a, at least uh, an hour of his insight into why he did this series, what is the focus of the series. I mean, uh, Ancient Apocalypse what does that mean? Is it all about catastrophic events? Is it about, I mean, we don't know. I mean, I don't know. I haven't really seen the details. And I actually, I was surprised at that title, but it suits the program uh, because he is about uh, early unknown. And when I say unknown, these are uh, civilization or civilizations uh, that are prior to our written history. And uh, the evidence of these civilizations. One of my favorite people uh, that he does cover is Marco Vigato, who's in Mexico City. And if you haven't seen Marco Vigato's work, uh, you should check it out on Facebook, Marco Vigato, or his book. He's got a wonderful book on uh, ancient unknown ruins throughout Mexico. And he keeps coming up and discovering (laughs) extremely old sites an extremely old evidence of unknown civilizations prior to the Aztecs. And so when he is on the program, we're looking at places that are very rarely discussed. And I have to say this, though. uh, It's really fun to watch him and his portion, his segment, because the uh, the, uh, Mexican archaeological community, INA, is very much open to discovering the possibilities of a lost civilization. You will never find this in the United States. The United States archaeological community is tight-lipped. They don't want to have any consideration of earlier people. They 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 kick and fight and scream and shoot <laughs> and bite when there's evidence of earlier people crossing what is now the continental United States. And so it's really refreshing. And I say this all the time. If you get a chance either to come on one of my tours, Earth Ancients tours, or visit Mexico, go to their museums, the anthropological museums, the natural history museums, and look at the artifacts. They are so refreshing. They're whole, uh, they have figurines holding technology, wearing very unusual clothing, suits. I have in my own collection... Figures wearing what can only be interpreted as spacesuits. 
spacesuits, people. So yes, there is evidence. There is evidence of previous civilizations. And as we've heard on this program, these civilizations, in many cases, probably rose and uh, eclipsed uh, high, high technology. I mean, in some cases, I think it's higher than ours. And then were destroyed either by their own hand, and we don't know uh, there's evidence of nuclear uh, weapons being discharged in India, or through a cataclysmic event, crustal displacement, or an asteroid hit, which is Graham's, and, uh, and what Graham believes is what happened with the most recent civilization. So anyhow, check it out, Ancient Apocalypse. We'll have Graham on the program just for a little bit. Uh, I mean, I'm going to cross my fingers I can get 60 minutes out of him. And it's funny because he was telling me, you know, I'm really sick and tired of Zoom. <laughs> and Zoom is the primary recording technology that we use here because it not only captures the voice of the guest, the author, the scientist, whoever, it also gives us the video. And I'm getting my act together, my friends, and hoping to launch a YouTube channel. And um, we'll have to see what happens. My guest this week is Scott Walters from American Unearthed. And it's always fun to have Scott on the program. Not only is he an advocate for early American settlements, and we're talking prior to Columbus, uh, but he's also a great field researcher and as a, uh, uh, a geologist, a uh, uh, specialist in geology, he is uh, able to see these artifacts that are scattered throughout the United States and really give them life uh, by analyzing them with uh, microscopic tools. I mean, he's a forensic geologist, and this is really, really the key. Now, this week, we're going to do a brief review of the Kensington Rune Stone, this stone that is linked to the Templar Knights in uh, Europe. We're also going to talk about Cremora documents, which are a new series of documents that are based on a book he is about to release. And when you hear what these documents are, it's it's kind of like game over for early, early uh, settlements. And I got to say this, if you're not familiar with, uh, with Scott, he is a really good spokesman for uh, ancient America. But not only that, he's very passionate about America. And he's very political in the later part of this program. We talk about American Stonehenge. We talk about a whole uh, area of uh, northern uh, eastern United States that is uh, showing megaliths. And we're talking about Dolman. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't seen Julie Ryder's uh, Montana Megaliths, you need to check that out because the megaliths in this sacred area of Montana are amazing. We talked a little bit about it with Sam last week, Dr. Sam Osmanovich. But if you get a chance to see these photographs, you can go to my page, earthancients.com, or you can go to just Julie Ryder and, and just, type in, uh, just type in Montana megaliths. These are amazing. These are fascinating, and it really shows that there was a very sophisticated, very early people, perhaps prior to the last ice age, which would, (laughs) Jesus, we're not going to get into these days, over 100,000 years, I'll say that. (laughs) 
or post Ice Age, which would be, you know, in the 10,000 year range. But they're artificial, they're intelligent, intelligently designed. They are gorgeous. So you got to check it out. So, anyhow, Scott uh, talks about a lot of these new stone sites. We get into petroglyphs, uh, we get into the Templar Knights and Freemasonry. And it's a very interesting show, and it is fun. I am going to post a group of photographs on the Facebook page that he has sent to me uh, regarding uh, scriptures and uh, petroglyphs that are scattered throughout the United States that are not being discussed. And uh, if you're a a regular here on Earth Ancients, you know that... uh, the archaeological community does not want to discuss any data that challenges the Columbus discovered America narrative. <laughs> so we have to make our own path. We have to create our own narrative. Graham Hancock and this uh, Netflix program is a big, 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 big plus for, for this kind of uh, thinking, this kind of uh, research but he has his detractors, and there's a couple of uh, teaching archaeologists that have been writing about this new series, outraged that he would even consider another narrative. And this is a problem that we run into. And this will be a continual problem as long as we have institutions that cannot stretch, that cannot look beyond their backwater theories. And it's a problem. And it's a problem. And I want to mention this, too. Those of you who listen to Earth Ancients that are uh, anthropology students, I think it's a wonderful field. But I hope that the people that you hear on this program can help you stretch beyond your teaching, stretch beyond what you believe is the truth, the historical truth of our planet, especially here in the United States. I mean, there's more and more evidence that huge portions of the United States were settled Uh, settled in the millions of people uh, prior to Columbus. And the thing is, we're talking about the continental United States. That's a big landmass. And so how in the hell is Columbus going to even know? How are the conquistadors that followed him up and and landed in Florida and uh, southern United States, how in the hell are they going to know if there's other settlements? Because they can't you know, ride by horse, it would take years. So anyhow, we we move forward. All right, so today's program is Scott Walter from the History Channel's uh, America Unearthed. And today's topic is Uncovering America's Suppressed History. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's always good to check in with Scott Walter. Scott is the host of American Unearthed on the History Channel. And there are so many topics that Scott covers. Of course, the Kensington Runestone is his sweet spot simply because everyone thinks it's a fake. And Scott's going, no, it's not. And here's the reasons why. But I wanted to, I mean, we always kind of check in with with, uh, Scott simply because he is not sitting down. He's not. Uh, resting on his laurels he is out there researching he's traveling he's uh <laughs> he's doing a lot and uh we want to touch base with him uh, on a number of topics so hey scott how you doing man i'm doing great cliff and as you said i've been on the road and uh researching um chasing treasure <laughs> looking at petroglyphs looking at pictographs been going all across the country and i'm having a great time doing it Hey, before we get into this, uh, our topics today, talk a little bit about this developed uh, procedure that you invented where you can actually look at stones and perhaps the carving on stones. I can't remember the name of it. Archaeopetrography. Yeah. Now, talk just for a minute. This is the key not only to the uh, symbology cut into stones, right? But can you actually date or give an estimation of when a cut was made into a stone using that technology? The answer is sometimes. Yes, sometimes we we can, sometimes we can't. Um, it's predicated on uh, a few factors. One is, uh, first and foremost, the geology of the rock. If it's a quartz-rich rock, if it's silicious in composition, which means rich in silica or quartz, it's very difficult and oftentimes um uh, we're not able to do much. Now, there are some new technologies like thermoluminescence that uh, right. works with uh, siliceous rocks that has been working very well. So 
Um, that technology is very helpful, but when, but, but, but geology is the key. So if you, um, if you know what the rock type is and you understand the environment that this inscription or this carving or whatever it is has been in, then you got a shot to be able to figure out what the possible age is. And this is relative age dating. This isn't like C14 where you're going to get a hard number. Well, so but, you got a plus minus year count on whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be like, for example, with the runestone, I was able to say, um, with certainty in my mind that the inscription was older than 200 years from the date it was pulled out of the ground. And that was, that was from doing a, a weathering study or a mineral decomposition study of tombstones of known age, right? Mm-hmm. And, Basically, what I saw was on the tombstones, certain minerals that were in the runestone, same grain size, uh, same weathering environment, um, the same situation, same context. And about 200 years is when these minerals began to come off the surface. On the runestone, they're completely gone. But once those minerals started to come off, that's when my experiment ended. But what I could say is that the weathering of the runestone, they're all gone. And so it's older than 200 years. And that's from the date it was pulled out of the ground in 1898, because it hasn't been in a weathering environment since. And that's key, too. I need to know where these artifacts have been since they, you know, they were pulled out of the context they were discovered in. So are you taking a sample of the uh, of the cut of the stone or are you, are you taking the whole stone and analyzing it? Well, you know what? I, I, the other thing that I will tell you when we do this analysis, every investigation is unique. Uh, every artifact is unique. I mean, like I said, geology is one thing, but in the case of the runestone, you know, people say, well, how did you get a sample of the inscription you know, did you did you break off a piece of the inscription? And the answer is no. I took a core sample out of the back. So I could first and foremost identify exactly what the rock was made of, mm-hmm. um, where it broke off, right? When and I, is it, when the I rock it, was indigenous to Minnesota, right? Well, that's what the mineral study showed, yes. And right. actually, I recognized it right away because of this two-directional foliation that occurs in the rock. And I recognize it from something I mapped when I was in college up at the Thompson Formation north of Duluth. And the, the you know, the point count of the different mineralogies, it has a lot of minerals in it, 16 different minerals. And I recognize it as being part of the Thompson Formation. What mm. a lot of people don't know is I brought in one of my retired professors, Dr. Richard Ojikangas, who taught me about uh, sedimentary petrology and I went to Thompson Dam, and that was one of our assignments. Nobody knows more about that formation than him. So I gave him a thin section. I said, OJ, can you do a point count on this and tell me what you see? Well, he recognized it right away as well. So, yes, it is indigenous to Minnesota. We know we know that rock inside and out, and it had lots of minerals for us to choose from. It was a beautiful candidate for applying these archaeopetrography uh, techniques that we developed. Now, the other thing that was unique about it is that we also were able to determine that the runestone, if you look at a cell phone, right, um, the face of the inscription would be here, but on the side, and it was thicker, of course, 
this had been split off. So all the minerals were exposed at the time they carved the inscription, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can't have the three lines of text on the side until you create that side, right? So we assume that the carver split it down to the two to one ratio that it is, and then they carve the inscription. The point is, is that entire side that has those last three lines of the inscription was exposed and has been weathering for the same time, same length of time as the inscription. Mm -hmm. So what that means is I didn't have to damage one of the runes or any of the numbers or any of the carvings. I took a chip off the split side, which has been weathering for the same amount of time. So that's that was the control sample that I used, and it worked beautifully. And okay. I didn't have to hurt the inscription because it was the same thing. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So uh, for those of you listening who are not familiar with the Kensington Ruinstone, this is a a marker that was found by a farmer, what, in the 1800s? In, 18, in, in, the, uh, in the fall of 1898, yeah. uh, a Swedish immigrant fo- uh, farmer by the name of Olaf Bowman Olaf. was clearing trees in preparation for farming with his two oldest sons. Right. There were three people there at the moment of discovery. And they uh, Olaf talked about cutting off the roots around the base of the tree with the grub axe. And then they took a winch and they pulled down the tree, which pulled the stump up. And uh, almost directly under the stone was this 202-pound slab of rock that was tightly wrapped, and it came out of the ground with the stump. And it was the younger son who noticed that there was something carved on it, and that's uh, you know that's what started the whole the whole story. Right. And I'm curious since I mean all the you've done a great deal of research, and you kind of continue to do it when you, when you find new uh, technology. Uh, what is the and this is what makes it so anomalous it's not the 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 actual carving information on it is is not from any known people in the americas uh you have linked it to the templar knights yeah but what's more important is what date what's your gut on a date well the date is on there it's 1362 this okay. is you know this is uh a, you know less than 6 decades after the uh, the Templars were put down. And, you know, you have to understand that um, these weren't the Templars, right? That The Templars that had escaped um, were probably pretty much dead by this time. These are the ideological descendants who had been hidden and protected in Scotland uh, for a number of decades because the Templars that did escape, you know, and uh, went to Scotland served at Bannockburn. The greatest, uh, you know, victory in the history of, of, of Scotland over over the British, and they were helped by the Templars. And what a lot of people don't understand, this has all been relegated to myth and legend, right? That's what I'm well, saying. It's right. myth. It's yeah. not a myth. It's yeah. not a myth. Yeah, that's we what you're first, showing. <laughs> we have firsthand documentation. We have not shared with the world yet that this absolutely did happen, and this is why the Scottish earls. Uh, and the King of Scotland was obligated to protect those Templars and their descendants uh, while they waited for their opportunity to be brought over to North America. That opportunity happened in 1395 and 1398, but it also happened in 1358 when a party left Norway uh, never to return. 
This is the party that carved the Kensington runestone. This is the party that began construction of the Newport Tower and is probably uh, responsible for a number of other artifacts and sites that are part of this so-called, um, uh, you know, hoax, whatever you want to call it, fake history. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's there's a lot of things that are going on here, Cliff, that people need to understand. There are certain larger forces at work that do not want this story to come out. These are the these are the entities that have put forth the false narrative about Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. The guy that never set foot on the continent that we now call the United States of America that already had pe- millions of people living here for for God's sake. I mean, the notion that he discovered anything is is insane. Yeah. But this is the narrative that we were all taught. Scott, Scott though, let me ask you, why would there be an issue with early Europeans settling the Americas and using the Kensington runestone? Plus, I mean, we've talked about the Newport Tower many, many times. It's, right. it's very unique and it has a lot of uh, signature designs that are very European that you've brought out in your books. But And they, and they point to only one group, the Knights Templar. But why? Who cares? If, if I'll if tell we- you who cares. The Roman Catholic Church cares a lot. Really? Because, you know, part of the problem that we have here is is happening right now in this country. Right. We've got people that are that it, the lawmakers that want to push through laws that we are a, a a Christian nation. They want to make our national religion Christianity, for God's sakes. Do these people understand history? These are the same people that invoke the Constitution, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to tell you, what I'm trying to tell people is the real founding of America started with the put down of the Templars. And who put them down? The Roman Catholic Church, right? Right. And the King of France, a monarchy, right? These are the two entities that back in medieval times would legitimize each other and elevate them above the people. The people are the ones that were suppressed. They were the ones that were persecuted if they didn't toe the line with the church. And it was just BS. And in the end, who was persecuted, arrested, tortured, and burned? The Templars. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what did they do? They decided to take their money and go somewhere else. And that somewhere else was over here, a place that their ideological and bloodline ancestors had already been. Okay. But here's, but here's the thing. Let me okay. just finish the yeah, thought. Yeah, I want to hear this. Go ahead. I want to finish the thought. We know that those descendants of the Templars that served at Bannockburn, that escaped from France after the put down, were brought over here. And the treasure that disappeared from the Paris uh, headquarters that went to La Rochelle and eventually to Scotland and eventually over here to North America. And they buried them in multiple places, including Oak Island. Okay. I'll just <laughs> tell you right now. <laughs> oh God, really? And they buried them for someday. And the mission to establish a sanctuary or what they called a free Templar state free from the tyranny of the monarchs of Europe, free from the persecution of the Roman Catholic Church. Do you see a connection here? Mm. And guess what? Our founding fathers inherited that obligation, and they finished the job. 
They knew about the Kensington Runestone land claim. They knew about the Newport Tower. They knew all about the Templars. They were all Freemasons. And what a lot of people don't understand is our founding fathers were not only all Freemasons, they were also Knights Templar. They just didn't tell anyone. Okay. I'm a Knights Templar. I'm telling people now that I'm a Knights Templar because they need to know that we are all around. And here's yeah. the th- here's the thing that drives me crazy, okay? This country was founded on the tenets of Freemasonry. Make no mistake about it, okay? <laughs> Freedom of religion, right? That's in our constitution. Do you know why it goes back to 1307 and the persecution of the Templars by the church. That's why the church doesn't want this story to come out. Hmm. They want people to do exactly what they're doing in the Republican Party right now, I'm sorry to say, and they are dividing us. They want to take away the role of, of, of our national government, and they want to kick it down to the states. That is what is going to break up the republic that we founded 252 years ago. That's hmm. the truth, Cliff. And it's Mm. happening in real time. And what people need to do is to stop talking to these idiots that don't know what they're talking about, that refer back to the Constitution, the Brotherhood. This group right here wrote the Constitution, okay? They're based on Freemasonic principles. They shouldn't be talking to these people that don't know what they're talking about. They should be talking to us. And now more than ever, people need to understand this. So when you go back and ask me, what are the larger forces at work? The church is number one. There is also other business entities that are out there, like the military industrial complex, um, (laughs) the oil cartels. Uh, They want to keep us divided. They want, they don't want America to be the union that it was, that is governed by the people, right? What our founding fathers intended was for the people to be elevated above the government, not the way it was that their ideological descendants suffered the persecution from. This Mm. is not a difficult story. This is not hard to understand. The obfuscation and the uh, marginalization and the ignoring of these important artifacts and sites are telling the true history of what happened. And I could go on for hours and hours about it, but now (laughs) we have the documents to prove it. And all I can tell you is buckle up, baby, because it's coming and it's coming soon. And I'm hoping that it's going to, it's going to help us because we need this truth to come out now more than ever. I want to talk to you specifically about these documents, but before I do that, I'm curious uh, about your knowledge of ancient sea maps. And when I mention that, I'm referring to very ancient sea maps like the Perry, the Perry Reese maps. And if you study those maps, there's some question that they could be as old as a hundred thousand years ago when there was no ice on the, uh, on the, on the uh, caps of the, of our planet. And there's an analysis. You have to go back a lot farther than that. The the last ice age lasted lasted at least 2 million years. Well, Um, I'm saying that when there was no ice on specific continents. Okay. Which would make them very old. old. I'm being a little little persnickety about the dates. That's good. I was a glacial quaternary geologist was my emphasis. So I, uh, I know this. I know the glacial part pretty well. My question is, though, is it possible that there's a whole uh, body of history that we are not aware of where 
Europeans and other people from around the earth came to what is now North America using these earlier maps. Hell yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, look, uh, some people, if you talk to the indigenous people of this continent, who, by the way, know all about the Templars, they know all about all the people that came here for millennia, right? This is not news to them. But what happened? Let's go back again. What happened to the indigenous people? That little genocide thing that happened? (laughs) Part of what was going on is is the Jesuits were sent over here by the church prior to colonization, and they were trying to eliminate the Templars and eliminate the people that knew where they were, and that's the indigenous people. But the indigenous people know all about the Templars. They know all about this story, and they're ready to talk, let me tell you. But anyway, I digress. The point is, is that there were people not only coming over here from Europe, but there were people from here going over there, and then they came back. Um, oh. You talk to the indigenous people, they, <laughs> this, their history goes back over 10,000 years, and there has been trans transatlantic contact, trans-Pacific, you know, contact that's been going on forever. And, you know, this is all part of the narrative that the church and other entities are trying to control. And I'm just going to call out the antagonists in this story for what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, The most dysfunctional organization that's ever uh, existed in the last 1700 years. And they are the enemy. And, and they are the ones that are behind this attack on our democracy. And it's not, it's, 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 this isn't difficult to understand, but, mm. but Cliff, it's, it's getting to the point of critical mass. And so somebody has got to speak up and tell the truth. And that's, that's what I'm doing, man. I'm just telling you the way it is. Well, A you're lot one of many that's for aren't sure. going to like it. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, you were mentioning documents. Uh, talk about the Cremona documents Cremona document yeah. and uh and how important those are in your case for the kensington <laughs> runestone well you know it's it's the Cremona document is absolutely amazing it's the gift that has just kept on giving right up until recently when i think we may have received may have received the last piece of the puzzle but boy i'll tell you what this last piece is a mind blower i can't go into the details right now but essentially what the cremona document is is um it's a compendium of documents that include maps that include letters that include notes um uh <laughs> invisible maps uh, uh a lot of information that was purchased by uh, a guy named Bill Jackson in 1971 from the Benvenuto family in Rome, Italy. Hmm. They were about to donate this document to the Vatican, but he interceded, he purchased it and got it deciphered because um, a lot of the information was encrypted as the Templars uh, was their want to do back in the day, because the information they had was explosive, uh, including knowledge of, North America and other parts of the world where where their ideological and bloodline ancestors had already visited. But the main story that you will read in the Cremona document talks about what the the original Templar Knights led by the first Grand Master Hugh de Payen in in Jerusalem, what they found under the south wall on the Temple Temple Mount. They found a, a ritual Christian chamber uh, under the south wall, inside that chamber, 
there were four ossuaries that contained gold, documents, scrolls, um, technology, um, five uh, old devices, including a cryptex that you needed to decipher the documents that were in one of the other ossuaries. And the final thing they found were the physical remains of John the Baptist. Um, I find it very interesting that in our lodges, our Masonic lodges, they're all dedicated to the Holy Saints John to this day. However, if you go back prior to 1600, they were dedicated to the Holy Saint John. I think I now know why, not Jesus. (laughs) In any case, this, this is the stuff that was found. The Templars sent those documents to Bernard de, uh, de Clairvaux, who was the one that wrote the charter for the original Knights Templar Order. And remember, I said this was a bloodline and ideological um, mission, right? Mm-hmm. When Bernard de Clairvaux, who, in my opinion, is one of the most important historical figures in the world, and nobody knows who he is, uh, was one of the... Um, He joined the Cistercian Order with 30 family members, including two of his uncles, one of those being Hugh de Payne, the first Grand Master of the Templars. Um, They they all joined the order together when there was one abbey at Citeaux by the time in France. By the time Bernard died in 1153, there were over 300 Cistercian abbeys across Europe, into Scandinavia, and into the Holy Land. Now, think about this. McDonald's would blush at that type of success. But what was really <laughs> going on? The Templars were also Cistercian, right? They just served a military function within the order. And if you dug into and truly understood who the Cistercians were, who Bernard was, things would start to make sense. But he began this mission and they planned all along eventually to establish a sanctuary over here. And it was the founding fathers who finished the job, but it started all the way back then around 1100 with Bernard and those original Templar Knights. Now in those documents, when they were deciphered by Bernard and the people that he brought in, they learned about what happened to the early Hebrews who were um, dispersed when the Romans attacked, right, in the first century, some of those people fled to a place they called the land of Antiora. Antiora is North America. And they took scrolls with them Hmm. and relics and artifacts. And they came over here and they established a temple called the Temple of the Goddess in what is now the Catskill Mountains over on Hunter Mountain. I've been there. In any case, the next part of the document that Bill bought in 1971 was called A Year We Remember, when he finally deciphered it. And by the way, one of the people that he incorporated and reached out to that helped him with the decipherment was a guy by the name of Barry Fell, a Harvard professor. Oh, yeah. You remember Barry Fell? Well, his what was his famous book? BC something BC. America BC. Yeah, yeah, amazing book. I have it. Yeah, it was published in 1976. This was in 1971, 72, and 73. Okay. Barry Fell got a hold of that document from Bill Jackson, and he just about wet himself. <laughs> he he wanted to use the Cremona document in his book America BC, but Bill mm. said, "Excuse me, that's mine. I'm going to write a book about this." I want it back. 
Barry Feld didn't want to give it back. All I can tell you is it is not a good idea to mess with a spy. Bill got it back. And anyway, he went forward. Once he got that document deciphered, the story it told, and it was called A Year We Remember, was about a Templar knight who in 1177 left the British Isles, went to Denmark, and picked up six ships, 144 men and women, including their navigator, who was a woman named Altamara. And then he traveled over here to recover those scrolls that had been hidden sometime probably before the year 1000. We don't know when they were taken over there, but some of them were brought over in the first century. Hmm. Now, he was able to get over there, but on the way around Newfoundland, they lost one of the ships. They hit rocks. They limped to shore. They realized they couldn't repair it. So they offloaded everything, towed it out and scuttled it. In the summer of 1971, Bill Jackson, Don Rue. Don Rue is the guy that I'm writing a book with right now. He went on that trip and they found that ship. A 12th century Templar ship. They found it I, under the water, you mean? They found they... it under the water. It wasn't very oh. deep. It was, it was um, <laughs> I won't say the depth, but it wasn't, it wasn't deep diving. Okay. That proved to Bill that the story was true. They spent the next six years looking for the Temple of the Goddess and the tomb of Altamara. Altamara was the navigator. She got them to the temple, but while they were there, a, a warring tribe attacked the people on the mountain, and she was killed. Her body was burned. It was put inside of a wooden box, an ossuary. And it was buried inside of a small cave and sealed with a boulder. Hmm. Bill and Don spent six years from 1971 to 1976. And on October 11th, 1977, they found the tomb. Oh, my God. Yeah. So at that point, the story of what they could do on the ground was over. Now, Back in the late 12th century, after Altamara died, Sir Ralph de Sudley went through a three-night ritual with the priestess on the mountain in three different caves. I've been in all those caves. On the third night, the priestess came into the cave and offered herself to Sir Ralph de Sudley. And he looked at her and he said, I have taken vows. I can't. And then she said, you pass. <laughs> and that allowed him to collect half of the scrolls that he brought uh -huh. back. Uh, and when he got back to Suborga, Italy in 1180, he gave a deposition in front of the then Grand Master, which uh, was um, uh, Odo was his name. But he was shortly thereafter, he was kidnapped by the Muslims, and he died later that year. But we have a list of the scrolls that De subtly recovered and a couple of them that are very interesting. One of them was the gospel of Miriam, the gospel of Mary. Mm -hmm. One of the other documents, there's 22 on the list, 22 documents. One of the others was the marriage document of uh, Yeshua ben Yosef, 
Jesus and uh, and Mary Magdalene. Hmm. That was the most important document that he brought back. So that's the gist of the beginning of the story of the Cremona document. But there is probably 10 chapters more that go above and beyond that. And they span a long period of time because the Cremona document was a compilation of Templar documents that mm-hmm. were compiled and recopied sometime after 1858 because they were recopied into a blank copy of a book called The Life of Sir John Falstaff. Uh, Sir John Falstaff was a fictional character created by Shakespeare, of all people. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more to this story. It's absolutely incredible. And that, along with some other journals that we have been vetting for the last seven years now, um, they're independent of each other, but they corroborate each other in the most beautiful way. And it, it tells the it tells the true story of the founding of America. And it started with the Templars and it ended with our founding fathers. And now that it's teetering on the brink, we need to bring it back by revealing yeah. the truth. And I don't care who doesn't like it. The church can, <laughs> they can flake off for all I care. They've done, <laughs> enough, they've done enough damage to the world. We're going to take a short commercial break and we will be right back with you. And uh, my guest today Scott Walter. We'll be right back. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My guest today is Scott Walter from the History Channel's American Unearth. We're talking about some of the new discoveries he's made, as well as some of the existing uh, evidence for very, very early people here in what is now known as the United States of America. You said something earlier that I thought was interesting. You said for thousands of years, people have been coming to uh, what is now United States. I mean, that would probably be before the Templars. Did the Templars kind of, 
I mean, we were talking about the Perry Reese map that is supposed to be tens of thousands of years. I mean, copied from earlier, earlier, earlier. Potentially, potentially. I will tell you this, though, Cliff, and I wish I had a copy of it handy here. But um, one of the pages in the Cremona document Mm -hmm. is um, uh, a sketch of the um the obelisk that is i forget which one they called i think it was uh not amenhotep it was um i can't think of the uh, pharaoh but anyway it's now standing um in paris and it's got the gold capstone on the top are you familiar with it i think i think i know what you're talking about uh i may have seen it because i was at the uh, the louvre yeah. where they basically i mean the the french basically took whole temples and brought them back to Okay, well, when you talk about things like the Perry Reese map, let me tell you about that obelisk, according to the documents that we have. The capstone of that obelisk was stolen in 300 BC, hidden inside the capstone. There were holes drilled into it, were scrolls that contained maps of the world that date back thousands of years. They were stolen. In 300 BC, hmm. it, God, I wish I had it handy. Um, actually, I know right where it is. Can we do a, a share yeah, screen? T- well, well, sure. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. Uh, I know I can. Hold on. Uh, for those of you listening, I am going to post this image on the well, Ramses the second. Ramses the second. Okay. Yep. There were three obelisks in Luxor, all referred to Cleopatra, uh, referred to as Cleopatra's needle. One was moved to the U.S. as a result. I'm just, I'm just playing. Uh, it stands in Central Park. The one built by Ramses II in 600 B.C. was moved to Paris in 1826 as a gift from Muhammad Ali, Egypt's ruler at the time. The original capstone of hammered gold plates was stolen. In 6 BC, I'm sorry, a new capstone was replaced in 1998 by the French government. The U.S. obelisk was moved in 1887 with the assistance of Henry Honeychurch Goringe. According to Wikipedia, the third resides in London, England. So has anyone ever, no one's ever seen this original capstone. It's always just been all. It's disappeared, but you can see that there were scrolls that were hidden inside of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they apparently contain maps of the world. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. And then you'll notice on the obelisk, there's some Hebrew as well. Wow. I'd love to see an obelisk with Hebrew writing on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a, this is a sketch. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that it's, it's, you know, it's on the uh, obelisk, but. So those documents are pretty, uh, pretty special, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and this picture was taken by Bill Jackson. Now, what happened is after Bill Jackson, um, they found the tomb on, on Hunter Mountain. Really, what they could do on the ground was over. So he decided that he was going to write a book about all this, but he became so disillusioned by the academics, including Barry Fell, that he said, screw it, I'm going to write a novel. So he started to write that novel, but Bill was also a physician. And by the early 90s, he realized 
that he uh, had developed arterial sclerosis and Parkinson's disease, and he was he was dying. Wow! So in 1994, he sold the document to the Vatican. Oh my God! The worst thing he could have done. <laughs> well, that's what we thought. And so what actually happened was we didn't know this until many years later. In 2004, uh, Bill died in the year 2000. In 2004, his son, Mark Jackson, basically signed over a document that said all of his father's research was bequeathed to Don Rue. And with that, there were a couple of disks, floppy disks. You remember those? Yeah. (laughs) that Bill had put some information on that that Don discovered and really cracked the whole case open. And then he approached uh, me and some other people, including a woman by the name of Zena Helper. Zena was a good friend of all of ours, and they decided that they were going to write a book together. And they signed a, a contract in 2010. Well, Zena was overwhelmed by some of the information that was received and decided that after a couple of years that she was going to write a book on her own. And she basically screwed Don. And she decided then she was going to go. She tried, uh, she created a connection to Oak Island uh, because there was a map in the material that Don had of Oak Island. And so she went to the Oak Island boys and gave them that map and one of the legitimate maps that they've been using on that show for about 10 years. Hmm. Well, all I can tell you is it's not very smart to mess with a spy because Don and Bill both worked for an agency that did work for our government, clandestine Hmm. work. And I can tell you that these guys are American heroes that will never receive the credit for the work that they did, which is extremely dangerous. Um, getting rid of a lot of bad guys. But anyway, um, the map of Oak Island that Don gave to Xena was a test, and she failed. Hmm. Because that map was created by Bill Jackson as part of his novel. He worked in the Oak Island mystery into his novel that he never finished. And so (laughs) that map that he gave her was bogus. Hmm. And maybe somebody might want to tell them that because they've been using that map for the last five years. They've been that show's been going on for a while. I mean, millions of dollars and I don't know, you know, years and decades oh, of research. Oh boy, you have no idea. They yeah. approached Don in 2017 and tried to get all of his material. And I told them, I said, so they want to offer you a I saw the contract. Yeah. I in fact I was there a week after they were there totally by chance. And he Mm. said, by the way, Rick Lagina was here and he gave me a contract. What do you think of this contract, Scott? And I looked at it and basically it said, you're going to let us use all your stuff, all your documents, all your artifacts, and we're not going to pay you anything, but we're going to let you come on the show so you can be famous like Xena. Um, And we're going to make millions of dollars off of your content and you're not going to get anything. And I said to Don, that sounds like a great deal. I'd sign this right away. Oh, I'm not signing that. (laughs) Well, then Don and I signed an agreement, and the book is coming out soon. And uh, let's just say you're probably going to see something 
somewhere. There you go. Another uh, eight very part, soon. 12, 12 part series with Scott Walter on it. Hey, listen, let's, I want to continue on with a couple of uh, places that you've visited, uh, most notably American Stonehenge. And, you know, when we talk about migrations to the Americas, that place is conservatively dated around 4,000 years ago. Right, right. That's that's a real anomaly because here are people who are working with megalithic stones, placing them, cutting them, whatever. Talk a little bit about that because you've been there. I, I mean, I've ta- stones. Uh, actually, the guy who runs it, Stone, his, his, Dennis Stone. Yeah, I mean, he's invited me many times. I just can't get out to. Uh, you you know what? You got to go. It's fantastic. Well, New Hampshire's on the other side of the, of the world for me. I'm in here in California, so you're right. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff over there. If you go out there, you'll be looking at stuff. um, It's, it's endless. The, the Northeast coast has got um, so much there to, to share that. um, Yeah. I got a guy, I got a guy who sent me some photos of Dolman, which is really amazing. There's there's Dolmans all over out there. I've been to at least a couple of them. Have you really? Yeah. 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 They're fantastic. Talk about your Dolmans. One of those Dolmans is mentioned in the Cremona document. Oh, so it's a marker, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, talk about this uh, this uh, megalithic site in New Hampshire known as American Stonehenge. What? Right. I mean, it just seems to me there's a connection that we're not we're not paying attention to, and I mean, it's it's cut, it's formed, it's a dwelling, it has other properties. It's a, also it's a cosmological center. Yeah. I mean, talk it's a little a, bit. It's, of- a, it's an observatory. It's an ancient observatory. Yeah. Marks, I mean, the solstices, the equinoxes, the cross quarter days. Um, it's got, uh, it, it's got structures that are just, I mean, incredible that, that they're like, uh, ritual. It's all ritual based, right? The last time I was there, I, there's a wide open area that's surrounded by walls with little recesses all around where a, a person could climb in and spend time. And I noticed that it was exactly a two to one ratio. I paced it off. Now, two to one ratio might not mean anything to you, but it's something called an oblong square. And an oblong square is the is the shape of our lodges, our Masonic lodges. The ancient temples were laid out in in two to one dimensions. The runestone is exactly a two to one ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, this tells you something about the people that created these spaces. Um, it all goes back to uh, ritual, and the Phoenicians certainly would have practice certain rituals. Um, one of the things that they feature there is something called the sacrificial table at America yeah. Stonehenge that a lot of people have suggested was used for child sacrifice. Now, I'm not sure that that's the case, but um, it's got these interesting grooves, uh, blood grooves, they call, they yeah. call them that pour out on the, on the, you know, the one end. Maybe that's what it was used for. Maybe it was something else. I, I really don't know, but it is, Truly amazing, and why academics don't take an interest in this site? I think they're afraid of what they're going to find out. Yeah, and that they're, they're <laughs> the whole narrative that we've been telling them for a long time is BS. They're going to figure it out on their own, um, and it's a shame. It's a shame, and I'll tell you what: Dennis Stone does a phenomenal job of maintaining the place, 
of being open and, you know, bringing, letting people come and visit. And I'll tell you what, that guy, he never stops talking. He'll, if you yeah. get him going, he just goes and goes, but it's all good stuff. He knows exactly yeah. what he's talking about. He's passionate about it. Um, you know, his father was the one that purchased the land. I'm hopeful that his son, Kelsey, will continue the tradition, uh, the family tradition, because it's one of the most important sites. It's it's the highest point in, in the area. I mean, it makes perfect sense for yeah. the, the people to go there. And it's not far off the coast. It's incredible. What would you say if you were to, uh, you know, intuitively or even uh, critically claim who would actually make a or create a place like that what would you say i would say the phoenicians are the most likely candidates that probably what what is that is is there symbology or any petroglyphs i don't know of any that anyone's ever come up with but is there any writing or anything well there there is a a carved stone that some people that i've looked at um and we did a little science on it on the program they call it the ball stone which would have been the the ancient Phoenician god Ball, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's what it says or not. I, 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 you know, I'm not familiar with that language, but it's clearly a man-made, man-made inscription, and it's old. It's weathered like crazy. Uh, it's a meta sediment that actually is pretty tough rock, but it's very, very weathered. So it's it's been there for a long time, possibly thousands of years. The problem is. For me to make a definitive statement like that is very difficult because I don't know where that stone has been. According to Dennis, it was found some stones had collapsed over the top of it. When they lifted them back up, they found it underneath. So, uh, you know, the the context that it was in, the weathering environment, that that all plays a role in determining how old something is that's that's man-made in stone. Wow. Hey, as we conclude, I want to talk a little bit about your. Uh, initiation into the Freemasonry. Yeah. Uh, sec. Uh, when I first talked to you a couple of years ago, I think it's been <laughs> a, three or four years ago that you were uh, brought in both you and your wife, Janet. Uh, what's the deal? What, wh- why get involved? And if there is sacred knowledge, can you spill the beans on a few items? <laughs> <laughs> of course you're looking at me like wow, don't, don't ask why me, don't man. you just go right after me <laughs> make me tell the secrets well, when i get kicked you're out all about revealing <laughs> you're all about revealing these uh, uh these sacred you know uh sex and things like that so <laughs> well why not let me let me let me put it to you like this yes i was raised to the sub- sublime degree of a master mason in november of 2015 yeah. Um, I, I have also gone through, um, the Scottish Rite. And, and just so people understand, when you become a Mason, you join what is called a Blue Lodge. And that's where you go through the first three degrees, entered apprentice, fellow craft, and master Mason. And once you go through those three degrees, you're on the squad, you're a fully vested Mason, and you don't have to go any further. It's all good. However, if you would like to seek additional light or more knowledge, you can go through a couple of branches. One is called the Scottish Rite, which builds off the Blue Lodge. So the first degree of the Scottish Rite is the fourth degree. And then um, with a total of 29 on top of three gets you to the 32nd degree. And I have done that. Um, The other branch is called the York Rite 
which is uh, 10 additional degrees that are broken up into three groups, the Royal Arch, the Cryptic Council, and then the Chivalric degrees. And at the end, you are knighted as a uh, Templar Knight. And I have uh, been so taken and accepted in that order. Um, But that's where um, sort of the official Freemasonry starts or ends, and then the good stuff starts. There are what we call side orders that you might be uh, invited into. And then there are also non-Masonic orders, including two different Templar orders that are non-Masonic that I am a part of. And Janet is uh, a member of one of those orders as well. Because so let me just mission- stop you real quickly. This, oh, yeah. this, is, this is the same Freemasons that our founding father were associated with. Yes. I mean, because we have a picture of Washington wearing his Masonic uh, apron. Freemason apron. Yep. So he okay. was he was he was a master mason. He was part of a, of a sanctioned lodge that was sanctioned by the Grand Lodge of that state. But at the time when he was made a mason, we weren't a country yet. So um, I think my point is that the, he got his credentials, if you want to call him that, from European history, right? Because at that time when he was in America, there was really infancy in a, in a lodge, right? Right. Well, yeah, Freemasonry was brought over here by by Europeans, for sure. But let me tell you something. You know, one of the big mysteries about this whole Templar thing that I've been talking about, the reason that the Templars had such success over on this continent prior to colonization was they bonded with the Native Americans over here, with the indigenous people who practice their own version of Freemasonry. It's called the Medewin. And so they practice the exact same rituals that we do in Freemasonry. Whoa. Uh, the The death and resurrection ritual that they practice going back to Egypt and beyond. So they bonded at a deep spiritual level. They also intermarried with the indigenous people. And I get into discussions all the time with academics that say, well, how come we don't see evidence of European influence on the natives? I'll tell you why. Because they didn't influence the natives and convert them to Europeans. The Europeans went native. And you can take that to the bank because they were over here in the indigenous way of life prior to what happened starting about 400 years ago, was a beautiful way of life. Um, We could have learned a lot from those people. I have been honored to be part of uh, the Medewin Sweats. Uh, It took a while, but eventually during the the ritual, I earned the right to ask my questions. And I said, I'd like to ask you questions about the Templars. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you mean our blood brothers? Let's just say it went pretty good after that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll, anything you can uh, provide us in terms of uh, historical, of course, you're, you're, I know you're just blending this new knowledge in or this Freemason knowledge in with what your work is right now. But is there anything? What specific- secrets can I tell you? Well, not, not, you know, I mean, <laughs> this is the big secret. This is one of, well, one of the big secrets is the truth about the founding of our nation. It's, it's rooted in Templarism. It goes right back to the uh, Templars that were put down uh, in 1307. And the experience that they had with the monarchs of Europe and the Roman Catholic Church is, it's now rearing its head again. People want, uh, 
You want a monarchy again? <laughs> this is what we're looking at on one side. You yeah. want you want this to be deemed a Christian nation? Really? Is that what you want? No, it's yeah. not what you want. That's certainly not what our founders intended. When mm-hmm. we go through our degrees in Freemasonry, we have an altar that you take an obligation on. And you know what holy books are on there? A Bible, a Torah, a Koran, often a Buddhist Bible, and our native brothers take their obligation on an eagle feather. Because at the end of the day, Cliff, whatever you call deity, God, Yahweh, the great spirit, whatever you call that thing, we're all talking about the same thing, right? Yeah. So instead of people arguing why their religion is better than somebody else's religion, that's all BS. Because we're all talking about the same thing. And the last I checked, I don't care what color what creed, what religion, where you live. When I cut my arm, my blood is red. So is yours. So is everyone's. And so instead of worrying and and focusing on the things that divide us, in Freemasonry, we focus on the things that unite us because we are all one. And when we are divided like this, this is when we falter. And that's happening right now. So all of us Masons need to step up and say, back up. You want to understand the tenets of our nation? We will tell you what it's about because we wrote it. And by the way, Thomas Jefferson is given credit for writing the Constitution. And yes, he did. But what people don't know is that he used the Constitution of the state of Virginia, which was written by George Mason. Who, who is a Freemason and is often called the forgotten founder. So there's all kinds of misinformation and disinformation um, about, you know, what happened and why our country was founded. And if I sound like I'm getting spun up, Cliff, it's because I am. Yeah. Um, I Look, I have Republican friends. I have Democratic friends. But I'm telling you right now, if you guys want to know what happened, you want to understand the truth about the founding of this nation and what they intended for us going forward, mm-hmm. we will tell you. I just, I was just in Philadelphia. I was at the National Park um, buildings that talk about our founding fathers, the Liberty Bell, the Constitution, and all these events that happened leading up to 1776. And you know what I didn't see in any of those interpretive materials anywhere? I didn't see the word Freemason or Freemasonry. And that's got to change. That is flat out wrong. That's this history. All of it's wrong. And the runestone, that is the most important historical artifact because it was the Templar land claim that was the stake in the ground if they ever needed it. A lot of people say to me, well, Scott, you say that. Why didn't why didn't they go back and claim it? The reason is they didn't have to because our founding fathers finished the job. Yeah. And you're welcome. <clears throat> you know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the Newport Tower a few times. Uh, yeah. But other than the runestone and the Newport Tower, is there any other kind of uh, standing markers that are, I mean, <laughs> all, ki- all kinds of them, Cliff. But There's I mean, a- anything that the historians are kind of going, well, this could have, this is from, you know, mi- historians or park uh, uh, rangers would say, 
oh, this we think is from uh, people like colonists. You know, a lot of these root cellars that we see on the East Coast are so damn old that they consider them root cellars, but they are probably, you know, before anyone came to America from well, the Well, of course they area. are. The problem is, is why don't they study them? Why don't they put forth the effort that's that's necessary? Because they don't want the truth. My God, they're calling the Newport Tower a windmill. Are you kidding me? First yeah. of all, it's not round, okay? It's an oval. Secondly, structurally, it could never serve as a windmill. The lateral forces from the wind, there's no structural steel to keep those columns in place. Yeah. It would tear itself apart. It was never a windmill, and that's nonsense. But that's the narrative they want to they want to, you know, keep out there. I mean, the Spirit Pond runestones, have you ever heard of them? No. Look them up. Spirit Pond? <laughs> Spirit Pond runestones. There are four of them. Where are they located? They were located? found in 1971 by, Walt, uh, by Walter Elliott. And uh, believe you me, uh, Walter was not capable of carving those. They, they are runic inscriptions that talk about Vinland. They're directly connected to the runestone. And nobody knows about them. Why is that? How about the Narragansett runestone right in Narragansett Bay? How about the Inhoc Signal Vinci stone that's just down the hill buried in the sand in Newport, Rhode Island, below the tower? Do you this know sounds what like a book. Sig- this sounds like a book, Scott. <laughs> I got it. I've already published it. On um, all book. these runestones? No, no. You got I published them all, brother. Okay. Well, as a book, I don't know if I have or not. The the Inhoc Signal Vinci stone is incredible. In hoc signo vinces is a Latin phrase first uttered by Constantine in the early fourth century. That mm-hmm. means in this sign, thou shall conquer. That was also the battle cry of the Knights Templar back in medieval times. Mm-hmm. And it's the same battle cry of the Masonic Knights Templar to this day. Wow. So I, you know, nobody knows about that. Um, how about the Overton stone in Nova Scotia? Look that one up. That's incredible. It's got a Templar cross. It's got an eagle feather. It's got crossed tobacco leaves, which is the symbol of an agreement. Yeah. And it's got a, a crescent moon. You've never heard of this before, have you? Why not? <laughs> it's all been suppressed. It's all out there. I've looked at every one of them. All right. Hey, as always, Scott. Wonderful to have you. I hope you have a great holiday. Before I let you go, I have to ask. uh, (laughs) One more thing. One more thing. One more thing. (laughs) Uh, You you did an analysis on the the glue of one of these artifacts you found at a site in Mexico. Actually, I've done analysis on a number of the, the glue on those artifacts. And, and those are supposed to be alien artifacts because the figures are, are of alien. They look alien. And uh, the, the, the lore in the part of Mexico is that they are blah, blah, blah. They, those people have been getting hammered and they flooded the market with a lot of fakes. So it's really made it hard, hard for the good stuff to show up. My right. question to you is though, have any artifacts that uh, are similar looking been found in the United States? That's a really good question, Cliff. And, and uh, the answer to that is, I don't know. I'm not aware of any. Okay. Um, but um, I would not be surprised if maybe Southern New Mexico or Texas, Arizona, that area, if yeah. something hasn't been found yet, if something doesn't show up at some point. Um, but that's a really good question because they're all over Mexico. Yeah. And 
Um, one of the one of the things that I'm hoping to do in the near future, and I have a number of invitations, is to go down to Mexico and actually um, dig up some of these artifacts myself and see what the context is. Is it truly a clean archaeological context? Are these things, you know, no evidence of intrusion or planting right. or anything like that? I would love to do that and then test those artifacts because the stuff that I've seen um, which dates back as far as I have one date that goes back 19,000 BP before present. Wow. I mean, who the hell did that? Right. Yeah. Um, but I want to, I want to be able to pull it out of the ground and test it myself. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, there's no ruins that are found uh, in any of these areas where you're digging up these, these alien artifacts, right? No, I mean, there's no, there's no I, foundations no, I, or anything. No, there actually, there, there was uh, some videos that were sent to me here just a couple months ago of guys digging up not only artifacts, but skeletons. Oh God. I'm I not love... kidding you. You want to see okay. one? <laughs> you had to send that to me. If you got pictures. I'm just telling you. I mean, what do the skeletons look like? Hominin, human, or are they? They look like aliens. Oh my God. Yeah. Hang on. I'll just give you one send, little. Send it to me because the people that are listening are going to want to see that. Oh my God. Send that. Are, are you right. allow, are you allowed to send one or two? Well, I'm a little bit hesitant to do that because. Okay. I, and we have, you know, this was just sent to me a couple of m- months ago. And they oh, also sure. Sent, no, I got you. Send me a bunch of videos of. Um, excavations that they were doing and and some of them look pretty interesting but you know could somebody fake it of course they could and so what i need to do is boots on the ground the problem is (laughs) it's dangerous down there the cartels are active and uh is this morales what city is it what state uh you know what i can't remember what the name of it is and i can't pronounce it but it's okay i will tell you this it's south of mexico city South Mexico. Okay. Several hours. Great to have you again, Scott. Uh, Wonderful. Let us know when the book comes out and have a great holiday to you and uh, to Janet. Thanks very much, Cliff. It's always a pleasure. And uh, sorry for getting spun up, but I think you understand the context and my concerns. Well, we just um, finished the midterms and this is everybody's up in arms about it. So, uh, well, I, I, I actually, I think it's a wake up call, um, you know, for people look, um, you know, the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues that people are concerned about is women's rights to choose and um, and anybody's right to choose. I don't think there's a bunch of people that are out there saying they're pro-abortion. Um, I, I think it's a sad thing. And, it, 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 you know, we should try to avoid it at all costs. I just don't think that it should be mandated that a woman uh, has no right to choose. Um, the same mm-hmm. people that want to mandate those laws are the ones that said, you know, I'm not getting a vaccine and you can't make me. So why yeah. is it that you're trying to make other people um, toe the line based on your religious beliefs? It's, it's, right. and I think the people have spoken loud and clear at the midterms on that very issue and others. So right. we need to come together. Um, it can't be one, one group that says it's my way or the highway on either side. We need to come together. And um, this is what we preach in Freemasonry. And that's why, when we're in lodge, we don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion because these are things that divide people. We focus on what unites us and gotcha. we should all be doing that. 
Gotcha. Right. All right, my friend. Okay, Cliff. Cheers. Take care, man. We'll talk right. soon. We will. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Scott's upcoming book sounds uh, amazing. Of course, he left us a lot with a lot of cliffhangers with these uh, papers and this uh, new material that he found. Uh, what do you call it? Cremona documents. It sounds like real, real uh, lightning in a bottle. So um, he didn't say when the book's coming out, but I imagine mid mid next year. It depends on who the publisher is. So. Always good to have Scott Walter on the program and uh, to get his perspective. And he's an annual visitor. So even if he doesn't have a book coming out, we want to talk to him. Although he's been taking on a lot of really interesting topics lately. This whole alien artifacts from Mexico. He, like, he did a whole program on it with America and Earth. But I'm just curious, you know. I mean, this, that's such an anomaly to pull those up and then to test the glue and the glue, glue comes back thousands of years in the past. I don't know. I mean, I have so many questions about that. And if you're you're like me, you keep an eye on eBay or Sotheby's, you see these artifacts from various parts of uh, Mexico, these alien artifacts, little aliens in craft and flying saucers uh, or by themselves with the almond eyes, typical grays. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard to know because they're, they're flooding the market with the stuff. And there's a, there's a lot of junk and it's not cheap. It's that, I mean, they're selling these items for thousands of dollars. So somebody thinks it's worthwhile. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's worthwhile. So anyhow, it was good to have Scott on the program. Hey, we just had our midterm elections here in the United States, and a few more states legalized the use of recreational cannabis. Now, I think we're up to 21 or 22 states that are legal, and this is a, this is a good thing because cannabis not only is a very, very powerful healing tool, but also it's great for uh, recreational use too. And I have just recently released a book called Cannabis and Sexual Ecstasy for Men. I don't know why they put that title. It should have been just Cannabis and Sexual Ecstasy because it lists these arousal strains, these healing strains for men and women. And I was a little curious, but you know, when you work with Simon & Schuster, they have a whole editorial body that chooses the title and you're basically kind of pushed out. I'm, I learned my lesson for, with that and uh, I'm not sure I'll use a big publishing house for the next book or two. But anyhow, I'd like you to consider my book. It came out a few months ago. You can get it on uh, Amazon. You can get it at your local bookstore. And the reason I, I, I suggest it is that I have listed the top 20 arousal strains. And these are strains that you can take a short little bit of, a little a hit, in, inhalation, or you can get a, a an edible and have a, just a little edible and it's a wonderful tool for raising your sexual vibration. What does that mean? That means you can have a powerful orgasm. And now we're going to talk more about orgasms. People are like, they shy when, when you know, you hear the term orgasm, like, oh my God, I had an orgasm. Well, it's a very, very beneficial thing. And I'm all about the ancients. Uh, and in this book that I wrote, I discovered that the Hindus were 
sanctifying Lord Shiva. They they have built numerous temples to Shiva, and these are these tantric uh, temples that are also dedicated to cannabis. And what they discovered is when you have certain types of orgasms, it really helps you achieve nirvana, which is you're connecting with the highest part of your physical, mental, and spiritual self. And this is a real benefit. It's a healing practice. And um, without getting into into a lot of details, when you have a a full-body orgasm, it floods your body with these specific hormones, which actually can heal uh, a lot of issues. And uh, so anyhow, get the book, Cannabis and Sexual Ecstasy for Men. And uh, also go to the website, themaleorgasm.com, and you can read excerpts and you can download additional sections that were not included in the book about these strains. And these specific strains are very powerful, very healing, and they are growing in popularity. So those of you who uh, live in states that were legalized for recreational use, congratulations. That means you don't have to go traveling to other states. You don't have to do what we call a cannabis tourism, which is we fly to another state, spend the weekend, you know, enjoy cannabis for a day or two and then fly home. <laughs> it's kind of a pain. I'm hoping that by in the next couple of years, the whole country will be legalized because it's a powerful and a wonderful healing and uh, uh, beneficial plant medicine. So the book again, Cannabis and Sexual Ecstasy for Men, you can get it on uh, Amazon or any of your favorite online or direct bookstores. Hey, the holidays are coming up. It's time to buy gifts. It's time to decorate the house. But you know what? I want you to think about yourself this year. I want you to take care of yourself, and I want you to get yourself a gift. That can be a couple dollar gift. That can be a getaway gift with you and your lover, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your uh, wife, and do something. But I would suggest coming with us for the fourth annual Earth Ancients Grand Egyptian Tour May 2nd through the 14th, 2023. I have been flooded with emails from companies, from individuals who have taken up the banter to go visit Grand Egypt. And they're doing this because it is a fabulous place. It's a healing place. It is an eye-opening place. But nobody does it like Earth Ancients. And I'll tell you why. Most of these tours... In fact, I just saw one the other day was 10,000 US. And that is a ton of money. I mean, I can't I can't go out and spend that. I mean, I don't know. But our tour is about 40% off the typical price or roughly $4,000, 4200. And this tour is fabulous. It's 12 days of total immersion. Uh, we see some of the most grand locations. We uh, float on the Nile. We eat, drink, and we enjoy top hotels, uh, top accommodations, and the food and the drink is fabulous. For more information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. Check out the itinerary. It's fabulous. 
And you know, one of the things that a lot of these other tours, tours don't get is a private access point. You don't have to stand in line. You don't have to be part of the general public. You know, they don't tell you that when you look at these other tours. It's like you're going to be stuck in line for an hour getting into the pyramid. We get to go to the pyramid on our own, privately. We have two hours plus to climb, to go to the king's chamber, the queen's chamber, to go all the way down into the subterranean chamber if you really want to. And the whole place is open to us, our group, our group alone. And this is just not the pyramid. This is every place we go to, Hathor Temple, uh, the uh, Luthor, uh, excuse me, Luxor Temple, all the places we go to, Red Pyramid, Bent Pyramid is private. And who is our tour guide? It is Mohammed Imbrium, my favorite and hands down the best tour guide you'll ever consider. EarthAncients.com forward slash tours. Check it out. Give yourself a wonderful Christmas gift. Come with us. You're never going to see these prices again. I don't know how much longer I can keep these prices this rate, uh, especially with the competition. But the competition's crazy. I mean, they want a ton of money, and they're not guaranteeing you anything. I guarantee you a fun, fun time. Hey, and guess what? I'm going to give you an extra 200 bucks off. If when you register, you go to the uh, form and it says coupon, punch in G-O-E 200. We'll give you an extra 200 bucks off. That's good till the end of the year. Good till the end of the year. That's uh, that's a little bit of extra discount for you. And that's a thank you from Earth Ancients to you. And hopefully you can join us. May 2nd through the 14th, 2023. It is fabulous. And I want to say hi, too. All right. Hey, that reminds me, I have an announcement to make. Our tour, our Mexico tour, is now up and available to see on earthancients.com forward slash tours. This is the new tour. It's called the Ancient Maya of Chiapas, and it is an Earth Ancients tour. Guess who's leading the tour? Yeah, our own archaeologist, Dr. Ed Barnard, is going to be our leader. And this is a fabulous tour because it's a, it's a seven-day tour. It's a short tour. It's easy to ch- jump off and jump on again, November 10th to the 17th. Guess where we're going to go? We're going to go to Verahamosa in Mexico. This is the heart of Olmec land. We'll, we'll visit the Olmec uh, ruins. There's some of the most uh, amazing museums we'll check out in La Venta Park. And that's on November 11th. And then we go to Palenque, which I haven't been to in years. When I was there, it was only partially excavated. Now it is grand, grand, grand visit. And guess who was one of the main uh, surveyors and excavators of Palenque? Yes, our own host, Ed Barnard. Dr. Ed Barnard is going to be our host. Private tour, private access. And one of the reasons we're going to this part of uh, Mexico, which is really what you can consider southern Mexico, uh, Chiapas, is because we can climb on the pyramids. North of uh, Chiapas, in the, the Yucatan area, most, if not all, of those buildings, temples, pyramids are off limits. You can't climb them anymore. Just too many people climbing them. Where we're going, you can climb them. Plus, we'll get special access to some of the sacred temples with our uh, our host and uh, leader, Ed Barnard. So 
Uh, for more information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. This is, like I said, it's uh, seven days, and it's uh, the November 10th through the 17th. It is our ancient Maya tour of, of, Me- of Chiapas, Mexico, and it's going to be fun. And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we haven't done a tour with Ed, so it's going to be fun. It's great personality. Again, earthancients.com forward slash tours. You can see all of our tours, and it is uh, it's something to consider. All right, that's it for this week's program. I want to thank my guest today, Scott Walter, and uh, getting an insight on what he's up to. As always, the team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everybody who makes it happen. Yeah, I'm talking about you. You guys do rock. All right, take care, be well, and I will talk to you next time.